Second Kings chapter number 20 and verse 1, the Bible says, In those days was Hezekiah sick unto death. And the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos, came to him and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord. Somebody say that with me. Thus saith the Lord. Thus saith the Lord. Set thine house in order, for thou shalt die and not live. Now, you would say, well, if I die, of course I'm not living. Well, that word live means recover. It means you will not be healed. Uh, You're going to die and you're not going to get better. So then he turned his face to the wall and prayed unto the Lord, saying, I beseech thee, O Lord, remember now how I have walked before thee in truth and with a perfect heart and have done that which is good in thy sight. And Hezekiah wept sore. For a little bit tonight, and I hope you'll grant me some leniency in my, in my title because it will make sense as we go forward. I want to preach to you for a little bit tonight. What makes God repent? What makes God repent? Let's put our Bibles down or our iPhones, iPads, whatever we're using. Let's pray over the remainder of our service tonight. God, we are so thankful that you brought us together again, Lord, to worship your name, to hear your word. God, we pray that uh, as, we, as we finish out our service this evening, God, that the word wouldn't just fall on deaf ears. God, I pray that it would permeate our minds and our hearts. God, let it change me. God, I don't want to leave this place the same way that I came in, God, but I want the word. God, I, I believe that your word has power to break chains. It has the power to set captives free. And God, I pray that anybody who came into this place, God, that needs a touch from you, that before they leave this place tonight, God, that they would feel your hand upon their lives, and we'll give you all the glory and all the honor for it in Jesus' name. Everybody said in Jesus' name, and why don't you give a hand clap to the Lord before you're seated. I had a a phone call this week with a friend of mine from out of state. He called me. Um, because he had recently started a Bible study with an, uh, with an atheist. Somebody, it was somebody uh, roughly his age that, that was an atheist. And um, he called me and he said, you know, it, it's, it's been an interesting conversation and I, I wanted to get your thoughts on some things. He said, uh, you know, we would, we would get together for the Bible study for the last couple of weeks and it feels like every time we start to make progress, every time we, we start to, uh, it seems like we're finally getting somewhere uh, with what we're trying to talk about. He always, uh, he always brings up this point. He always comes back to the same thing every single time. And I said, well, what, what is the thing that he's hung up on? You know, it's, with an atheist, it could be anything. It could be if God is good, why do bad things happen? And, you know, if, if, uh, you know, if God made everything, you know, then what were the dinosaurs? And do you believe in evolution? All, all that stuff. And, and, you know, you're thinking with an atheist, atheist is probably going to be something like that. But he had a thoughtful question. He, uh, he asked my friend, he said, well, if God is all-knowing, if God is omniscient, you know, if God, he knows the end from the beginning, if God really does know everything, then why should I even try to live my life a certain way? Because if God knows where I'm going to end up at the end of my life, if God already knows the end, then what's the purpose? Do I even have free will? Do I even get a say in the matter? You know, do I, do I even get, do I even really have free will? If, if God really knows everything, if God is omniscient, if he is, if he's all powerful, then, then what does it matter what I do? Because no matter what it is, God already knows and it was destined to happen. It's, it's, it's called determinism. It's, it's, you know, whatever was going to happen, it was inevitable because, you know, God already knows. He's already written the end. He knows where you're going to go when you leave. He knows, he knows what you're going to do tomorrow and the next day. And he knows if you're going to end up in heaven. 
heaven or if you're going to end up in hell. God just knows. So if he's all-knowing, then, then why should I try and be a Christian? You know, does it, does it really matter? And it's a fair question. It's something that uh, a lot of people uh, have wrestled, that a lot of people have wrestled with that question before, I think. And, you know, it's, it's easy to wonder if God's already made up his mind about how things are going to turn out, then what value is there in prayer at all? You know, this is something even as Christians, you know, of course we believe God exists and, and, and most of us in this place, we believe in free will in as far as we understand it. And, and, and if you don't, we can, we can have that conversation later. But the truth is, is that even though we say we believe in those things, sometimes we don't always act the way that we believe. Sometimes we, we don't live up to our own standards. And what I mean by that is there's times where we can pray something or, or we know that we should pray something, uh, but we don't always do it or, or we know that we should be praying every day or we know that we should be praying about a specific situation and we kind of let it slip our mind and why is that why is it that we can be so resigned about the principle of prayer why is it that we can be uh we we can just kind of dismiss it from our mind the truth of the matter is that much like that uh, atheist friend uh of my friend there are times where we think to ourselves if god has already if he's all-knowing then why do i even need to pray Think about this, and, and you may not consciously do it, but think about when you're praying, when you're getting weary in prayer, when you're getting weary even in coming to church, and what we kind of wonder in our minds is that what value can I possibly add to it? whatever I pray, God already knows the need, right? Does that, does that seem fair? Is it no, matter, no matter what I pray, he already knows. That, you know, what could I possibly say that's going to add to uh, the situation? What is it I could possibly, I'm not more powerful than God and God knows the need. So surely God is just going to do what God does and I'm just sort of a bystander. It's easy to get caught in that trap. It's easy to kind of convince ourselves that it doesn't really matter if I pray about it or not. God's will is going to be done one way or another. And I, I want to challenge that thinking just a little bit tonight. I want to, if I can, I want to try and, uh, if I can, help you uh, get your mind wrapped around what your relationship with God really does look like. From a biblical perspective, what kind of power you really have in your words. What kind of power God only gave to you and your words. Apart from the rest of creation, the beast of the field, the fowl of the air, uh, you know, the fish in the sea, there is only one creature in all of creation that has the power to speak, and that is human beings. We are the only ones that understand language. We're the only ones that, that understand the power of speech. We're, we're the only ones, uh, certainly, that, that, that communicate our emotions through words. We communicate, uh, we, we, we don't just make sounds. We don't, we don't just communicate with sounds. We create things with words. That's, it's how we think. We think through words. That's how, that's how you know that you're alive. All right. And so I got thinking about this passage uh, this week. You know, uh, after I talked to my friend, he asked me, he said, well, to be honest, I didn't know how to answer his, his question. You know, because I wonder sometimes, he said, you know, if, if God really knows everything, you know, and God, God knows the end then how, how, how do I even get a say in life? How, how, how am I even supposed to have free will? And we had a good discussion about uh, what we mean when we say knowledge, and the Bible makes us to understand that God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And, and that's, that's, those are good conversations to have, and that's a valuable thing to say, but those answers, they can soothe the intellect for a time, but I'm not dismissive of them, but it doesn't necessarily get to the root of the question, which is, if God really does know the end from the beginning, then doesn't he already know if I'm going to make it or not? Wow. And if he already knows my end, then why am I here? Yeah. 
You see, in our opening text, Hezekiah, much like so many in the world today, he received a word about his fate that the prophet of God said he could not change. It's one thing to be told something by someone else. Listen, it's one thing when your friend comes up to you and says, I know that's what's going to happen. You can do it if you want to do it, but I, I already know what's going to happen. And, and you can challenge your friends. You know, your friend says, so, your friend says something like, I, I know how that's going to turn out for you. And, you. and you don't mind. You can kind of like, yeah, I'll prove him wrong. But what do you do when the prophet of God comes to you and says it? What do you do when it's the word of God that says you're going to die and you will not recover? You're going to die and don't even wonder, don't even think in your mind that you're going to be healed because you won't be. Think about that for just a minute. Can you imagine the weight on Hezekiah in that moment? To be told by God himself, this is how it's going to end and it will not change. And it's no different than the question that that atheist was asking my friend, is that, well, if God already knows the end, then what, what in the world am I doing? Why, why shouldn't I just sit here until I die? Because God is already, you know, <clears throat> the atheist had the benefit of at least not knowing himself what the end was. He believed that God knew, but at least he didn't know. Hezekiah, not only did he understand that God knew, but now Hezekiah knows. Can you imagine feeling that way? And so Hezekiah, he, he, he begins to pray. And I got thinking about, you know, if God already said what the end will be, then why should I either bother trying to live? There's something you have to understand about our relationship to God. See, because we're not just a clump of cells. We're not like the trees. We're not like the fish and the fowl. We're not like the beast of the field. We were made in the image of God after his likeness. And there is a relationship that humanity has to God that the rest of the world does not possess. You see, when we speak things, God hears what we've said. And when we keep our mouth shut, God acknowledges our silence. Because he has empowered us to speak things that are not as though they are. Now that's not, that, listen, that's not just a statement of faith, that's, that's reality. Is that if you keep your mouth shut, God will honor it. And if you say it, God will honor it. Now, if you know me very well, you know I'm not a name it, claim it kind of person. In fact, I'm probably the opposite of name it, claim it. So I'm not, I'm not here to tell you that everything that you say is going to come to pass. James said, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. So if your prayers aren't, if, if your prayers aren't being answered or if you see like on your TV preachers, they can, they can say that all this stuff's going to happen. Of course, it never comes to pass in their lives. Well, there's a reason for that. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. That means the prayer either wasn't effectual, it wasn't fervent, or you weren't righteous. It's one of the three. So I don't believe in name it, claim it. But I do believe that there is a principle in the scriptures about the power that you have in your words that God gave you and only you. So Hezekiah, I can imagine him thinking to himself, you know, although the end of all things may be determined in the mind of God before you were ever formed in your mother's womb. He knew you. You are so valuable to God. Think, I'm, I'm going to prove that it's true in just a moment, but walk with me here. God loves you so much, and he, 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 he elevated humanity above the rest of creation so much that he gave you the power to change his mind. God gave you the power to change his mind. I'm going to prove that that's true. So Hezekiah, 
He, you read on in verse number four. It says it came to pa- it came to pass. So Isaiah has just uh, Hezekiah has just prayed the prayer. God, remember remember all the things that I did. Remember that I've been a, a righteous man. Remember that I've been upright. And the Bible says in verse number four, it came to pass before Isaiah was gone out into the middle court, the word of the Lord came to him saying, "Turn again, and tell Hezekiah, the captain of my people." Here it is again. Thus saith the Lord. The God of David, thy father, I have heard thy prayer. I have seen thy tears. Behold, I will heal thee. And on the third day, you will go up into the house of the Lord. Do you understand what just happened in this moment? Isaiah was not wrong in his first prophecy. He went to Hezekiah and he said, you're going to die and you will not recover. And Hezekiah had to make a decision in that moment. He could have said, well, God already said, uh, there's nothing, I, you know, I, he said, I'm going to die. There's nothing I can do about it. So I'm just going to roll over and uh, just quiet resignation to the will of God. God, whatever you will, that's, I know that's what has to be. But that's not how God created humanity. God put it in us. He gave us the power to speak things that are not as though they are. So Hezekiah, instead of just quietly resigning himself to, well, even the man of God said it. Even the preacher said that's how it's going to be. There's nothing that can change. They're never coming back to church. I'm never going to be healed. Nothing in my life's ever going to get better. Rather than resigning himself to the idea that, oh, if God was going to do it, he would have done it by now. Hezekiah lifted up his voice and he said, God, I know you remember my relationship with you. I know that you remember the kind of man that I have been. I know that you, I I know God that you're faithful. And even though I've received a word that says it will not change, I believe that God's word is more powerful than what I'm going through. So Isaiah, we have to wrestle with this, by the way, this, and and I've, I've talked about this in our morning class, but this is also the danger of misunderstanding what prophecy is because our world has reduced prophecy to fortune telling. You know, God said, you're, uh, you're going to have a, a new car, or in three days this is going to happen, in five days. Listen, it's not how prophecy worked in the Old Testament. So, sometimes it was about future events, that's true. Sometimes it was about past events, like Nathan and David. Thou art the man. He wasn't talking about something that was going to happen, he was talking about something that already happened. Sometimes it was like this, where Isaiah said, you're going to die and you will not recover, and Isaiah's all of a sudden, I guess I was wrong. God said he's going to live. Sometimes it's like Jonah, and I'll get to that in just a moment. It's not as simple as just, well, you know, you can predict the future. That means you're a prophet. That's not what prophecy is. It means being the mouthpiece of God and whatever he wants to say in that moment. It's the rima word. It's the now word for whatever's happening in that moment. So Hezekiah, I can imagine him laying on his his bed there. He's he's been told he's going to die. We we think about in our minds, why did God change his mind? Think about this. God said, he didn't just say you're going to die. He said you're not going to recover. But then Hezekiah cries out to God, and God changes his mind. Where did Hezekiah learn that? Because listen, if if we're going to think like the atheists think, you know, well, God already said what the God already knows the end. It can't change. Well, what if that's not true? What if God has empowered you to change His mind? What if it's in the power of your speech to change the way that things are right now in your life? Hezekiah, I can imagine him laying on his bed, thinking to himself, God, I know. I know, what you, I know what the man of God said. I know what your word said. But I almost wonder the stories that had to start going through Hezekiah's mind while he was laying there. I got, I got thinking about, you know, Hezekiah, he was, a, he was a righteous king. That meant that he kept his own copy of the law. That means he wrote down his own copy of, of the first five books of the Bible. Now, I have to imagine laying there, him 
thinking to himself about maybe Exodus chapter number 32 and verse 7. The Bible says in Exodus 32 that the Lord said to Moses, Go and get thee down for thy people which thou broughtest out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They've turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have made a molten calf and worshipped it and a sacrifice thereunto and said, These be thy gods, O Israel, that brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I've seen this people and behold, it's a stiff-necked people. Now, therefore, let me alone that my wrath may wax hot against them, that I may consume them and I will make of thee a great nation. I can imagine Hezekiah was laying there on his deathbed. He is just a similar word, really. You're going to be destroyed. And Hezekiah laying there thinking about, but that wasn't the end of the story, was it? Because Moses speaks up in verse 11. He says, Moses besought the Lord his God and said, Why does your wrath wax hot against the people which thou hast brought forth out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Wherefore should the Egyptians speak and say, For mischief did he bring them out to slay them in the mountains to consume them from off the face of the earth? Turn thee thy fierce wrath and repent. God, change your mind. Moses told God, God, repent of this evil against the people. And remember Abraham and Isaac and Israel, thy servants to whom thou swearest by thine own self, and said unto them, I will multiply your seed as the stars of heaven, and all this land that I have spoken of I will give unto your seed, and they shall inherit it forever. In verse number 14, the Lord repented. Of the evil which he thought to do unto his people. Can you imagine the boldness that it took Moses in that moment to say, Lord, why are you angry? God, change your mind. Can you imagine the boldness that it takes? How many of you have ever told God to change his mind? And yet, righteous men in the history of our Bible did it not just once, but many, many, many times. And I have to wonder if we've maybe skewed our understanding of, of what we know when we say, well, God just knows everything and it's all just the will of God. Listen, God has a perfect will and his will will be accomplished in the end. I believe that. But in the meantime, while we're down here, I need you to understand in this place, if you don't take anything else out of what I say tonight, God has said it in his word that if you're willing to change your mind about the situation, God is willing to change his mind about the situation too. And this is something that we have tied up so bad in Christianity. We've got on the one side, the, the extreme side, the Calvinists, the Presbyterians that believe in predestination of the soul. That when you're born, it's determined who, where, who you, where you're going to go. You're, you're either born for heaven or born for hell. And there's nothing you can do to change that. That's one side. And by the way, they think that for the same reason this atheist was asking my friend this question. Well, if God already knows everything, then how in the world could it possibly change? And you've got people on the other side that say, uh, you can really just do whatever you want because God doesn't really care. God's not interested. And the biblical story is something completely different, which is that God has his perfect will in the earth. But he loves his bride so much that he said, if she speaks up, if she opens her mouth to pray, if she says things in her heart, if she's willing to affirm things that are inside of her, not me, that I will honor it. That is a very radical way to pray. When you start to understand that your prayers have so much power, you could change the circumstances that even men of God have told you will never change. 
Hezekiah was laying there and thinking about whether it was this story or another, about Moses, Moses telling God, God, change your mind. And God loves Moses so much. And he believes so much in what Moses has said that it's, that Moses' heart is pure, that God says, all right, Moses, I won't do it. I know I said that I was going to do that, but because of your prayers, I'm not going to do it. And Hezekiah in that moment laying in his bed, he does the exact same thing. I believe that whether it was that story or another, Hezekiah remembered who he was to God. Hezekiah remembered in that moment that God had anointed him to be king of the people, that God was not far from his people. And I realized something powerful while reading this story this week. You see, there is no sin in God. God cannot repent in the way that we understand in our modern vernacular. But this word repent in Exodus 32, it does not mean to turn away from sin. It means to change your mind. And so when Hezekiah lifted up his voice and he said, I beseech you, Lord, remember how I have walked uh, throughout my life. Lord, remember that I've walked in truth and remember that I've kept a perfect heart and remember that I've done things that were good in your sight. Hezekiah, the whole time he's saying, God, don't you remember? Don't you remember? Don't you remember? And I think to myself, maybe the reason God allowed this to happen to Hezekiah, it's not because God didn't remember who Hezekiah was or what he did, but he was trying to get Hezekiah to understand. Hezekiah, don't you remember? Walk with me here for just a minute. God, Hezekiah is saying, God, don't you remember that I was pure? Go back and read it. He says, don't you remember all the good that I did? Don't you remember everything that we've been through? And you can think to yourself, well, God, why would God tell him he's going to die if he's not going to die? All right. And you can believe it how you want to, but I believe it this way. That if Hezekiah had not prayed the prayer that he did, he would have died. Absolutely. Because when God says it, it's going to happen. Because his will cannot be changed. His will is perfect. So when he says you're going to die and you will not recover, I believe in that moment Hezekiah would have died. But Hezekiah understood something when he was saying, God, don't you remember, don't you remember, don't you remember? I think Hezekiah started to remember a couple of things that he had been taught as a boy, that you are the apple of his eye, that you were made in the image of God, that he is not far from his people, that he will not refuse a contrite heart, that he's not far from the broken. And I believe that in that moment, Hezekiah lifted up his voice and said, God, I know you've done it before. And so even though all the evidence is against me, I'm going to step out in faith and say, God, won't you just heal me one more time. And wouldn't you know it that when Hezekiah lifted up his voice to God, the Lord said, now I know where his heart really is. And God spoke to Isaiah and said, you go back to that man and you tell him that I have changed my mind. Hezekiah may have been praying the whole time. Don't you remember? Don't you remember? And I think the reason Moses could say something so bold, like Lord, turn from your wrath. Lord, repent of what you said you would do. God would answer and honor it is because although God knows the end from the beginning and although he has all power in heaven and earth and although he sits high and looks low and I believe that you are the apple of his eye you were made by his own hands he breathed his own breath into you God created you in his own image and after his likeness he he called you his children you're not like the rest of his creation and would God manifest himself in the flesh he didn't come to die on a cross for the beast of the field or the fowl of the air. 
He didn't come to be crucified for the sake of angels or even for the sake of heavenly things. But God loved you so much that he said, I'll pay a price that I don't have to pay. I'll pay a debt that I did not owe because I can't leave them in the place that they're in. Do you understand that when you cry, God hears you? And that when you pray, God answers you? And when you worship, God is moved by you? And when you draw close to him, he he draws close to you. You've got to understand who you really are to God, that there is power in the things that you say. Yes, yes. We wonder why, why do I feel like my prayers are hitting a ceiling and why, why can't I get anywhere in prayer and why can't I get motivated to pray? And I'm going to challenge our thinking for just a minute and I'm not being critical because I've been there myself. But have you ever wondered if maybe the reason why we, uh, we, we feel like we're hitting brick walls when we pray is really because we're not sure that we believe in the fervency and the effectuality of prayer anymore? Wow. Listen, I, I know there's nobody in this place that would say they don't believe in the power of prayer. There's something about when we pray in our own life. It's like we can believe that when other people pray, things will happen. We be- if, if Brother McLean came up to me and said, I was praying and God said this, I'd believe him. Because we believe in the power of prayer. But something about when we come to the altar, when we come to pray... We, we start to convince ourselves that we have no value, that there's nothing we can add to the conversation. There's, there's nothing valuable I could possibly say that's going to change anything. What, what could I possibly pray that's going to change things? Listen, it is a lie from the pit of hell that you don't have power in your words. In fact, I am convinced that the reason why there is such a push in our, in our world today to believe that there is no God and that there, that there is no higher power and that there's, there's no reason for you to believe in anything, it's because the devil knows if human beings start to, if they start to get the understanding, if they start to really be convinced in their hearts that I'm not just another clump of cells, but God made me to create and destroy with the things I say, that I actually have power to walk into a room where demons have had strong oaths for years and say, get out of here, that I have the power to go lay hands on somebody and say, be thou healed in Jesus' name. That power is in your words. We've convinced ourselves somewhere down the road that if God wants to heal them, he's going to heal them no matter what I do. What if that's not true? Listen, it's a scary, scary place to be. But we know that when we get to the end, the Bible says that not everybody who cries, Lord, Lord, is going to enter in. What I mean by that is that it is a hard saying to think that there could be blood on our hands when we don't pray. Think about it. I know, listen, I know that's heavy. But think about it for just a moment. We say, well, if, if God wills it, it's going to happen no matter what. Can I tell you that's the exact same thing the Israelites told Jeremiah when Babylon was at the gates? They said, surely God wouldn't do that. Jeremiah, stop your crazy talk. You said the Babylonians are going to come in. The Babylonians like us. Go back and read it. The Babylonians wouldn't do that to us. Jeremiah, listen, as long as we keep offering sacrifices and as long as we keep offering burnt offerings... God's not going to let anything happen to us. That's what they said. And what happened? Babylon came anyway. Because it turns out that God actually is concerned with what you say and what you do. That you actually do have influence in this world. And that the things that you say and the things that you do, they have real consequences. In fact, I'll go a step further. They have eternal consequences in this life. You are affecting eternity every day when you wake up. Every day that you wake up, you are influencing something in the heavenly realms. That is a big, big weight to carry. Whether the atheist who met my friend 
knew it or not, what he misunderstood about God and what so much of the world has forgotten about God is that he's not just all-knowing and he's not just all-powerful. He's a God that is mindful of you and I. He cares about the things that we say. He's mindful of the thoughts we think towards him. He, he cares whether or not our mind has changed. As long as we're living in the state that we're living in, you can be sure that God knows your end. And God has determined, according to his word, all who will be saved and who will be lost. He knows the end of all things. He knows if you're righteous. He knows if you're wicked. And if your tomorrow is filled with wickedness, you can rest assured that God knows where your tomorrow leads. But God loves his people so much that he made room in his own word to say that if you'll change your mind, I'll change mine too. Do you understand that that's the entire story of repentance in one sentence? Do you understand that that's the entire story of redemption in one sentence? That if you'll change your mind about where you're at, I'll change my mind about where you're at. That if you'll draw close to me, I'll move from where I'm at and I'll draw close to you. That if you'll lift up your eyes a little bit and change your perspective, I'll show you things that you didn't see before. But you've got to move. You see, we think in our minds, well, God just has to do it. If God doesn't do it, it's not going to happen. And listen, I believe there are obviously things in this world God does that I cannot do. But what if he's waiting to work on the things that you put into action? What if it's you that God is waiting on? I want you to think about this for just a minute. Jonah chapter number 1 and verse 2. I won't be too much longer. Jonah chapter 1 and 2. Arise and go to Nineveh, Jonah. Go to that great city. Cry against it. For their wickedness has come up before me. Verse number, uh, chapter 3 and verse 2, moving forward. He says it again. We know Jonah doesn't listen. He gets swallowed by a fish. Take 2. Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. Three and four. We know what the preaching was that, jo that he bid Jonah. It says, Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey. He cried and said, yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Period. End of sentence. That's the end of it right there. God did not tell Jonah, you go tell the Ninevites if they don't repent, I'll destroy them. It's not what he said. He told Jonah, you go tell the Ninevites in 40 days, I will destroy them. That's the end of it. The prophecy that Jonah was given was not, Jonah did not preach repentance. I don't believe that. It's not in the Bible. Jonah didn't tell Nineveh to repent. You can go back and read it. He walked into the city a day's journey, and he said, 40 days, and you're going to be wiped out. And we know that for a couple of reasons. Number one, Jonah was prophesying in Assyria. You do realize the Assyrians were not the Jews. They didn't know what repentance was. Repentance wasn't a doctrine in Assyria. They didn't, they didn't have the word of God. It's not like they had the first five books of the Bible and they learned what it meant to, oh, you know, come back to God. You know, if I, if I come to God, he'll come to me. They didn't know anything about that. Jonah was a prophet to a Gentile nation. It's a very, very, very strange but powerful picture. It's a type of the church, I believe. Jonah, a Jew, goes to a group of people who are not Jews and he says, 40 days, you're going to be destroyed and leaves. And the Bible says that Jonah sat there waiting on his prophecy to be fulfilled. Yep. All right, God. I went through a fish. I've done a lot of really crazy stuff the last couple of days. But I did what you told me to do. They're going to be destroyed. You said 40 days, God. That's what you said. 40 days and they're going to be wiped out. So he sat there and the Bible says that he sat there under that tree. 
waiting. A day goes by, nothing happens. A day goes by, nothing happens. And you go back and you read, well, why wasn't anything happening? I'm going to tell you why. Because a group of wicked people who did not know God and did not know his word, they decided when they heard the preaching of Jonah in 3 and 5, Jonah 3 and 5, so the people of Nineveh, they believed God. He said, 40 days, we're going to be destroyed. And they said, guess what? I kind of believe it. We're going to be destroyed. And they proclaimed a fast, and they put on sackcloth from the greatest of them unto the least. For the word came to the king of Nineveh. He arose from his throne, he laid his robe from him, and he covered him with sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published through Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water. Let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let them cry mightily unto God. Yea, let them turn every one from his evil way and from the violence that is in their hands. Why? Here it is. Who can tell if God will turn and repent? Who can tell if God will turn and change his mind from his fierce anger that we perish not? And God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way, and God repented. He changed his mind of the evil that he said he would do unto them, and he did it not. And can you believe, to, you can believe to yourself that God never really planned. You can tell yourself, God never planned on destroying Nineveh. God wasn't really going to do it. You can say that if you want to, but I'm telling you, if God said it, it's going to happen. So if God said 40 days and you're going to be destroyed, they were going to be destroyed. But God cares about his people so much, even even the ones who are not sitting in this house tonight, to enough to say, if they will just turn from their ways, I'll turn from what I said I was going to do. Do you understand that there is power in your words? There is power in your actions that whatever you're going through in your life, tonight you can make the decision. God, I know that all the odds are against me. I know the deck is stacked against me. And I know I have no reason to believe that things are going to change. But God, I know from your word, if I will just lift up my eyes a little higher, if I will change what I'm doing, I know, I know. I know my God is faithful to change my circumstance. You understand the power of this story. That it wasn't even Israelites. God didn't have a, he didn't have a, it wasn't like Moses, Brother Jordan. It wasn't like Moses, Moses he could say, hey, you promised Abraham and Isaac and Israel all this land and this people, and it's going to look bad with the Egyptians if you do this. It wasn't like he could stay the anger of God by remembering a covenant. It wasn't like that. Yeah. The Assyrians hated God's people. They were responsible for destroying 10 of the tribes. The Assyrians wiped out 10 of the 12 tribes. Well, we say wiped out, Brother Jordan. We don't, maybe they were the Native Americans. I don't know. The point is, the Assyrians did not have a relationship with God. And yet, even they were created in his image. Think about that. Come on, brother. <laughs> you see, when I was younger, and people that were not apostolic would tell me that they had heard from God, I never believed them. All right. If you weren't Pentecostal to your bones, you don't pray and you don't hear from God. That's just the way that it was. When I was a kid, I just didn't believe it. And as I got older and I started to read these stories, I started to understand something that 
We are all created in his image after his likeness. And God loves all of humanity even as much as he loved me. And it turns out that just as much power as there is when pastor lifts up his voice and says, God, won't you do it? There is power in your voice. If you need something to change in your life, you don't have to wait on the pastor. You don't have to wait on the bishop. You can lift up your voice in your own household. You can lift up your voice for that backslider that, that you know, the world's told you they're never coming back to church. All the odds are against it. They've said from their own mouth I'll never come back but can I tell you that God has the power to change the unchangeable things in your life this is what that that atheist friend that that's what this is what he misunderstood this is what so many misunderstand we say well you know if God knows everything then surely you know it doesn't matter what I do can I tell you that God does know the end and he has made up his mind but he loves his people so much that if you will cry out to him, you can change your destiny. Do you understand that that's the power of repentance? You see, we got it all backwards. We think heaven and hell, that's a reward uh, for being good and punishment for being bad. That's not how it works. Hell is your inevitable destination if you're not redeemed. doesn't matter if you're good. doesn't matter if you're bad. You were born in sin. You were shaped in iniquity. Your determined destination, determined, your predestined nature is for hell. But God said, if you will just cry out to me, I will change your destiny. I will change what was meant to happen. It was supposed to be this way. You were supposed to die you are not supposed to live but if you will cry out to me hezekiah you will not die and you shall live what does it take for god to repent i'll tell you and i'm coming to a close what does it take for god to repent i'll tell you for you to repent (laughs) you want god to change his mind about what you're going through change your mind about what you're going through You want God to move, then move. You need God to speak, start praying. Because God responds to the words of his people. When you keep your mouth shut, he will keep his mouth shut because he honors what you say. And when you open your mouth to say things, God will honor what you say because you are the apple of his eye. You were created in his image and there is power in your your words just as his in creation to create or to destroy what, is, what does Proverbs say about the power of life and death? Your tongue determines whether or not there's going to be life or whether, there, whether or not there's going to be death. The things that you say. Isn't it funny you think about the power, we think about life and death are in the power of the hand. Life and death are in the power of, you know, we, we, we don't think about killing with our words. And I'm not just talking about being mean and just gossiping. That's not what I'm talking about. That's all bad too. There's probably a whole other sermon on that. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm saying that if there are things in your life that you think are dead, or that I'll even go a step further, they are dead. People in your life that you have thought to yourself, and I, maybe I'm the only one, but I have thought it, they are never coming back. They have made up their mind. They're a reprobate. Do you understand that even though, and listen, if somebody comes to you and tells you, well, they've just been turned over to another spirit. They have a reprobate mind. That could be true. It could be true. But what if I told you that even though God said that, which he did, that you can be so calloused and so so hard-hearted that he turns turns his face from you and calls you to believe a lie that you might be damned. 
Even if that's true, what if I told you that you still have the power to change his mind? God told Hezekiah, you will die and you will not recover. He told the Ninevites, I will destroy you. It was a command. Thou shalt surely die is what he said. Thou shalt not recover. It's a, it's a statement of fact. And yet, you see, we've got to get our minds wrapped around this principle that God really does care what I say. God does care if I show up for a prayer meeting and I'm fervent and I'm, and I'm engaged and I'm plugged in or whether or not I'm just going through the motions. God cares if I wake up in the morning and cry out to him. God cares if I don't pray. He cares if I don't fast. Yes, it does matter to God. Yes, it does have power in your life. Yes, it is impacting the way that you live right now. It is impacting your ability to reach souls. It's impacting your ability to be effective on your job. It is impacting things in the supernatural realm All right, now. the things that you say and the things that you do they have that power yes. you can stand with me I'm coming to a close I have to wonder sometimes when we've crossed our arms and we're wondering to ourselves God don't you remember what things used to be like. We see that we hear it all the time in the church and it's true. God, don't you remember the way that things used to be? Don't you remember all that I've done in your kingdom? Don't you remember the prayers that I've prayed? Oh, yes. God, don't you remember the relationship we used to have? And all the while, I have to wonder if God's just sitting on his throne and he's saying, do you? We, we do this, and I, I do it. I'm, I'm 28. I'm in a weird spot. The old people think I'm young. The young people think I'm old. I'm in a weird spot. But I remember as a kid, I, I, I remember coming into church, and I can tell you the story about Dicey Fleener coming in with her walker. Had just recently been in an accident. There was, it, it was horrible. She couldn't walk. Had to be helped everywhere she went. And I, I remember in my mind to this day, I can remember the, the picture of the walker left at the altar. Like, I remember seeing it. Yes, yes. And I, I, remember, I remember things like people coming to the altar that were addicted to meth and heroin. Yeah, yeah. People addicted to serious things that quit cold turkey after one prayer. My, my. Like, like I, re, I remember it happening. And sometimes we get in this mode where we start to think to ourselves, you know, God, it just used to be that way, and why can't it be that way anymore? And sometimes I just wonder, is God asking us that question? Why can't it be that way anymore? Somewhere down the line, we convinced ourselves if God wanted it to happen, it was going to happen. And I think that God's asking the question in this place, do you want it to happen or don't, don't you want it to happen? Because I put it in your power. It's in the power of the things that you believe, the things that you pray to determine whether or not chains are broken, whether or not marriages are put back together, whether or not lives are restored, whether or not addicts are set free. Believe it or not, you can determine whether or not somebody else has deliverance. You can determine for your own life the things that you think you have gotten used to living with. The things that you have just gotten used to, you've just resigned yourself. I've prayed and prayed, it must be the will of God. What if it's not the will of God? What if God's mind is waiting to be changed? What if he's waiting on that Hezekiah prayer? If he'll just cry out to me, 
The things that are set, you know, the things that are not, they can be. We say that all the time, you know, God, you know, we, we say, speak those things that are not as though they are. Do you understand how crazy that is to the world? You're going you're gonna to speak things into existence? Let me tell you something, that we are not just, we don't just live in a material world. We don't just live in, in you know, in, you know, society wants you to believe that, you know, you just evolved from monkeys. And the pastor, he brought it up at, the, at the, uh, the, the ministry class the other day. The two rocks, you know, smashed into each other, and, and that's how we got everything that we have. You can believe that if you want, but I'm just going to ask you where the rocks come from. Anyway, we don't have to go down that road. My point is, and if you don't take anything from what I say tonight, I hope you'll take this. That if you'll believe in your heart, if you'll change your mind about the way that you want things to be, the effectual fervent prayers of a righteous man availeth much. You say, I've prayed it ten times, it hasn't happened. Are you praying effectually? Say, I prayed it a hundred times, it hasn't happened. Are you praying fervently? Say, I prayed it, I prayed it a hundred thousand times. Check your heart. Are you righteous? Because the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. You have the power. You want to know the answer? What makes God repent? What, what, what is it? God, what is it that'll, that'll change the way that things are? I'm going to tell you the answer from his word is for you to change the way that you are. God, we are so thankful that you brought us together tonight to hear your word. We're so thankful, Father for every opportunity that we have. God, to dig into your word. God, to leave this place better than we came. God, to learn. God, to grow. To take something out of this house and take it into a lost and dying world. To take it into our own lives. Master, I pray that as we leave this house tonight, God, that we might be dismissed from this place, but not from your word. God, that we would take it out of this place. God, that we would utilize what we've heard. God, that we would, we would be changed from the inside out. Lord, in your precious name, everybody said amen.